Hello, and thank you for joining us. My name is Ashley Smith, and I'm part of Nobody Left Behind, a suicide prevention coalition whose goal is to eliminate veteran suicide through camaraderie, collaboration, and education. We are here today to discuss the unique experiences of veterans, service members, and their families, and how military service can impact mental health and wellness. Joining us today is Matthew Murray and Roderick Castle. Roderick is a Marine Corps veteran and New York State and nationally licensed creative arts therapist. He has been working with the vulnerable populations for over 20 years and is currently the crisis intervention specialist at the Veterans Outreach Center. Matthew served in the U.S. Army from January of 2006 to February of 2010 as a sergeant with the 1st Cavalry Division. He served two combat deployments to Iraq, the first being 15 months and the second 12 months. Currently, he is a veteran services officer with the Monroe County Veteran Service Agency, where since October of 2015, he has assisted and guided veterans in obtaining benefits and services through both the VA and the community. If you or a veteran you know is in crisis and could use extra support, please contact the Veterans Crisis Line. They offer 24-7 confidential crisis support for veterans and their loved ones. They can be reached at 1-800-273-8255 and then press option one. And crisis doesn't necessarily mean suicidal thoughts, although they of course can help with that too. Crisis can be difficulty sleeping, increased agitation, or just not feeling yourself. Many thanks to our friends at Visible Man for hosting this important conversation. Hi, my name is Bob and I am an administrator of sorts with the Visible Man organization. As an organization, we are here to support men, men's mental health, and work to eliminate male suicide. Having this discussion is a step for us in reaching out learning what some of the needs are in the local veteran community so that we can see where there exists opportunity for us to help and be an additional resource and support. With that said, I will start with asking some questions for our guests. So Roderick, my first question is pretty broad, but it's like, mm -hmm. what are you seeing and hearing from other veterans about mental health, their requests, their needs? Mm -hmm. uh, at the Veterans Outreach Center, we're seeing a lot of uh, veterans just emerging from a COVID kind of isolation. Um, literally guys that haven't maybe left their apartment, you know, eight, 10 times in the last two years. Um, the, the VOC has been, and I know people from the VA and other organizations, the county have all, gone to these veterans at different times and seen them check their welfare, but uh, stepping out that door for them is huge. And coming back to agencies, going back to the VA, getting their health care going again. They need a lot of encouragement and they need a lot of safety. Um, so that's, that's what we try to do. Just create that, hey, good to see you again, not make it a big deal. Just welcome them back. Okay. And did you see that, that COVID had increased issues for them? Yeah, guys that, um, guys and gals that normally maybe isolated a little bit normally in normal circumstances really just went right into that. Um, 
and then just were kind of stewing in their own mental health for months and months at a time. So trying to help them emerge from that darkness um, has been the focus of my work for at least the last six months. Okay. Did you have anything that you wanted to add to that, Matt? Um, yeah, I mean, we saw we saw a major change during COVID, um, and I'm familiar with Roderick. Actually, uh, we've uh, worked together with a couple uh, veterans. Yeah. Um, uh, during COVID, um, our agency actually shut down. We were working from home. Um, we converted our agency, which we usually um, provide benefits and benefits assistance to actually a food pantry. Mm -hmm. um, and we were taking donations. I mean, our back uh, conference room was filled to the ceiling with all kinds of food. And we were actually um, delivering food to veterans who, you know, had health issues, couldn't get out of the house, couldn't get to the store. And uh, we were doing that for about six months, um, which was, uh, uh, it was a change of pace. I mean, it wasn't something we were used to, but um, there was a lot of veterans that were stuck. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody is well aware of what went on. I mean, you had people not getting cancer treatments. Um, and as far as veterans, especially the population that I work with, disabled veterans, uh, they were in a very bad situation for a while. Okay. And with some of the questions, I'll just toss the question out there and whoever wants to respond first can go and the other person can mm -hmm. follow up. Um, so one of the things in looking at barriers and stigma with the people you work with and what you do, what would be helpful to the to you, to those people? Yeah, I, I number one on stigma, I do think it's getting better. It's it's very small increments, but I can honestly say I see more uh, veterans using, you know, uh, mental health terminology, um, being more willing to admit they have a diagnosis or they have a suspicion that they have something, you know, just the language is out there more, which is good. Um, I've worked a lot in the, uh, in the city, in urban environments. I see a lot more black and brown people talking about mental health issues, which is great. You know, that's been another stigmatized population that uh, culturally won't openly talk about that. So, and then you add veteran status on top of that. So it's like double. Um, so it is getting better, but I think the biggest thing that I, the biggest change that I see that works is some people like us being veterans and getting into the human services field and using the language and making it safe for them to tell their stories because we hear some stories, Oh yeah, you know, yeah. and it makes you angry sometimes at the military, you know, because how could that happen to this mm -hmm. guy? But we hold space for them and we show them that other veterans speak this language and we can help you. you know? yeah. so that's, that's huge modeling. Yeah. And, so, I, and I think that's key. Um, and that's not to say that um, if you're not a veteran, you couldn't relate or offer services. But um, having, having been there, um, at least me, myself, I've found that veterans open up to me. Um, I know Roderick over to Veterans Outreach Center, his agency and our agency work very close together because um, they have the Richards House over there, yeah. which is the homeless shelter. Um, mm -hmm. Alec runs it. Mm -hmm. um, there's a number of veterans over there. They're my clients um, and a lot of them suffer from mental health issues. Yeah. Um, 
I'm open with the veterans that I meet with, especially when I have veterans that come in my office um, and I meet with a lot of veterans um, that I know are struggling. I can see they're struggling um, just to break the ice and try to make them feel okay. I'll explain to them what I've been through. I'll tell them what I've been through, where I was at. Um, and that's something that um, Roger just alluded to, too, about the stigma. Um, it has gotten a lot better um, because when I got out 12 years ago, 2010, um, even myself, for the first year or two, um, mm -hmm. looking back now, I was self-destructing, you know, but I, people, I would say, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, and it... It's always going to stem from the army mentality or the the military yeah. mentality from day one in boot camp or basic training. Suck it up, get through. Don't it. complain, you know. And um, nowadays, it is much more accepted. I do still get veterans, um, especially veterans who are in the field of law enforcement um, and in other jobs that may require a security clearance and stuff mm -hmm. like that. That yeah. are very concerned um, and actually will not file a claim for PTSD, even though they have it or yeah. seek treatment. Um, veterans who are still in the Guard or Reserves because out of fear that um, it'll ruin their career. Um, one of the questions I get a lot too, um, or one of the concerns I hear is, um, I, uh, they're, they're gonna take my weapon, they're gonna take my guns, or I won't be able to get a pistol permit. Um, that's one of the things that I hear a lot from veterans too, which, isn't necessarily the case, yeah. you know, and I explained that to them too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think one of the good things about our agency as well as yours is um, there's a lot of veterans that work there and they're open um, yeah. about their experiences. I know Alec really well mm -hmm. um, and, uh, yeah. and Laura was the CEO. Mm -hmm. um, we're all open, especially at our agency, my director, Nick, Nick Stefanovic, um, his, his oh, yeah. story is really well there. known. Yeah. Um, and uh, his story is actually pretty incredible. Um, his experience when he got out of the military, um, and uh, he's done interviews before, so this isn't a secret, um, but he spiraled downhill. At one point, he was had a very bad addiction. He was homeless, living underneath uh, yeah. Driving Park Bridge for a couple months, and he went from that all the way to where he is now, um, you know, the director of our agency. and. Uh, you know, that goes to show. And, and I, and I, real quick, I do think that that is one of the, um, I don't want to say biggest motivators, but one of the things that um, can probably be very helpful that may be overlooked is um, somebody being open that has had that experience and has succeeded and moved past that yeah. and having them explain that to them and, you know, just be open with them and say, hey, look, I was there. This is what I went through. And once they understand it, see that, maybe they don't feel so bad about themselves. Mm -hmm. And they see maybe a little bit of hope, like, wow, you know, this guy was where I was. And look at him now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And let me, I wanted to explain a little bit of the process sometimes. Um, we'll, get a, we'll get a vet new to the community, you know, maybe homeless, just got off the bus or whatever reason, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> living situation it's caused him to become homeless um, and then meeting meeting with the Veterans Outreach Center might be the first step and we kind of our behavioral health department will if we pick up on some kind of mental health challenge or they they state that we'll meet with them do a quick assessment and kind of oh you this 
hear a story about something that happened in the military, maybe it maybe created a traumatic brain injury, a suspicion of it, you know, and we can see direct symptoms. So we, have you ever filed a claim? No, I don't, I don't think I have one. You should try, you know, this, this is, this happened to you in the military. There may be a connection. Mm -hmm. Let's get you over to the VSA and get those guys talking to you because they'll have your back. They'll, they'll do everything they can to see if you qualify for mm -hmm. a disability, which can change their life, you know, especially it's, for a home income. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's regular income on a monthly basis. So um, we get them from there to there. And then the next step would be the VA, mm -hmm. you know, getting, getting that claim in, getting some doctor's visits in, getting the evidence going. Vet center too. Yeah. The vet center um, yeah. for counseling. Yeah. We work uh, very closely with them and, um, for those who aren't familiar, the vet center, um, it can be confusing because technically the vet center is part of the VA. They are VA employees, but it's separate from the VA. So, um, uh, for example, the uh, medical records and mental health records are not shared with the VA. They're private. Um, and the vet center, um, that's all they do. They only specialize in PTSD, readjustment counseling, um, and you know, sometimes I don't want to say it's a bad thing. Um, they're a small agency, but um, not every veteran can go there. Yeah. Um, it's strictly for combat veterans yeah, okay. or um, veterans who were victims of military sexual trauma and, st and stuff of that nature. Um, and really, there's I couldn't tell you how many veterans through the years that have been through where the VOC, where Roderick is over yeah. to us or over to the vet center, vice versa. And I think our three agencies in Monroe County, we work really well, mm -hmm. hand in hand. There's a lot of us who know each other. Um, there's some of us who have actually worked yeah. um, at the other agency. So yeah, that's always um, helpful. Yeah, and uh, it's what it, one one veteran always um, pops in my mind when you talk about homeless veterans and getting benefits and life changing. Um, I remember uh, a social worker, I, I think it was a social worker from the VA, I can't remember, but she brought this veteran in. He was in really bad mental health uh, shape at the time, homeless, had no place to go. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we filed claims and I talked to him and uh, I wound up get, being able to get him 100% service connected. Mm -hmm. And he kept in touch with me. You know, I, I think he just liked to talk to me, but uh, probably about maybe a year or two years later, uh, he gave me a call, stopped by. He said, I want to, hey, I want to show you my new car. And he, he stopped in, and I saw him. And you know, he started telling me, I got my, I got an apartment. I'm in school. I'm working on my degree. Oh, I got a car. Um, I'm visit. I have visitation with my kid again. Uh, yeah. And That's it's just, year. if you would have, if you could have taken a snapshot from two years ago to now, it's not even the same person. I wanted to touch on something you mentioned. So with the PTSD in the military, it sounds like you're not just talking about combat PTSD. You mentioned like sexual right. assault or something, which we've heard those stories. So how, what yeah. ranges of PTSD are you seeing with mental health? I always talk about um, some the worst cases I see, and it's, I don't know. I think they're working on processes like, you know, in MEPS, uh, what's that saying for MEPS? Military something processing station. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I it's basically where it's, they. It's where you go before yeah, you go. They in. check you out, you know, mentally, physically, mm -hmm. before you even raise your hand and, and swear. You uphold the Constitution. Um, I think they're working on that process, but it 
in my opinion, it needs to be better in the in the behavioral health field because the worst cases I see are are you know guys and gals who had some kind of inherent mental health you know either a vulnerability or something ongoing. They made it through MEFs, and then something traumatic happens in the military, and then the combination of the two things creates a really bad situation. Oftentimes they'll they get discharged for substance abuse disorder or, um, you know, some other disciplinary thing. They end up with a, not an honorable, you know, maybe worst case scenario that, you know, it's uh, it's dishonorable, but usually it's like under, under honorable or general, general, which, which can uh, definitely affect the benefits they can receive down the line. So a lot of the vets I'm, I work with are in that category. They, they had something going on before the military, traumatic childhood. You know, we talk about ACE, ACE scores, adverse childhood experiences. Um, a lot of these vets have very high ACE scores. It's a it's a ten question uh, thing, and anything above five, you know, is a good indicator of later mental health issues. So things that happened in your childhood, like you know, various abuse, a parent that went to jail or prison, um, watching adults hit each other or yell at each other, you know, things that, it, so they already have a high A score. They've got some maybe inherent mental health stuff through the family and then something in the military combat assaulted sexually or otherwise, um, just, just boot camp yeah. for any branch is, is a traumatic experience <laughs> on purpose. They're yeah. trying to see, they, are you going to be able to keep your cool yeah. in a crazy situation? That's some, it. some people can't. You're hitting the, everything yeah. you're saying. You're hitting the nail on the head. Yeah. But um, you you just brought up a good point that I don't hear um, brought up often, and it's actually something that I've really never thought about because everybody focuses on mm. um, treatment after the military. And I will say, since the time I got out twelve years ago, um, from what I've seen, they are doing a lot more. Um, but um, you you don't hear much and. Truthfully, I haven't really given a lot of thought to the yeah. end processing, and it can be a catch-22 um, as far as um, um, pre-existing conditions, which unfortunately where we come in if we're filing a claim for disability, mm -hmm. if there is a pre-existing condition, something traumatic in their past prior to military, mm -hmm. oftentimes that's a reason for denial for PTSD mm -hmm. regardless of what they've been through. Um, I will say, though, um, you know, I, I can only attest to what I hear and see. I know when I got out in 2010, there was nothing. Um, there was no counseling. There yeah. was no coaching. There was no information. Um, I, I knew absolutely nothing. You're on your own. Yeah. And that kind of rolls into another question I have, yeah. readjusting after active duty. Mm -hmm. You know, what's out there that also maybe applies to mental health yeah with helping service members to adjust after that's where you know, from uh, active duty to civilian life yeah that's where i, I was just uh, thinking of that so um like i was saying when i got out um i had problems and i didn't want to accept it at the time um but um once i once it finally got to the point where i realized okay i do need to see somebody. I didn't know where to go. I mm -hmm. remember I was out about a year and a half and somebody said to me, uh, hey, you should file a claim. And I said, a claim? With who? Like, mm -hmm. What are you talking about? I had no idea. Yeah. I had no idea. Nobody now now you do it for me. a living. 
And, uh, and I've always said this, that the military does a very good job of training people how to fight and how to be soldiers and how to kill and everything. But um, they don't really do a good job of untraining soldiers and people how to um, readjust back into civilian life. Now, I know, and I'm sure you've heard, and I, it, probably at least the last five years, I've heard that the military has implemented as part of their L processing um, benefits. Um, yeah, they're start, starting to listen. Yeah, and they, they actually will have, um, have the uh, military member actually meet with a representative that will go over and file claims for them before they okay. get, get out, which is huge. Um, but as far as the mental health aspect, um, there, there needs to be more done, um, but it, still while you're in the stigma is you, you don't want that label. Um, they could discharge you because of it. Mm. Um, and uh, I'm sure you ran into this a lot. Yeah. And what Roger brought up about uh, bad discharges. Um, I've worked with many veterans, um, some of which um, had what's called other than honorable, um, which you could be discharged under honorable conditions. The next lowest is a general under honorable conditions. And then the next one under that is called an OTH, other than honorable conditions. If you have that type of discharge, you're barred from pretty much any benefits. The VA won't accept a claim for disability. Um, you can't get health care. They, they have started accepting veterans with that type of discharge for mental health care. Um, and discharge upgrades is something I do too. I'm not sure if you've ever done we, those. We, we go over it with them, like what okay. the basics of what they're gonna have to do. Yeah. And then we, then we get them over to you guys. And they're very hard, yeah. very hard. Yeah. Yeah. And we let them know it's I'm an uphill battle here. Yeah, I've only yeah. probably, yeah, I've been doing this close to 10 years. I probably only had maybe about six or seven that I was able to get upgraded and all of the ones that I did all were related to mental health issues and PTSD as the reasons um, for the disciplinary actions and mm -hmm. discharges. Um, and actually all of them I can think of when we got the upgrade, we were also able to get them disability benefits. Um, but unfortunately, I'm sure you've seen it. A lot of bad stories that yeah. um, real quick, because I know you want to move on, but um, I was just talking about this recently. One of the one of the things that um, I uh, experienced um, in my time doing this, and one of the things I'm most proud of, um, one of my veterans um, was incarcerated for uh, 34 years. Um, his wife first came to me about six years ago. Um, they got married while he was in prison. He was a Vietnam veteran, highly, highly decorated. He served as an officer and an NCO, presidential mm -hmm. unicide type citations. Um, I worked with his wife for about five years, never met the gentleman correspondence. I was able to get him service connected. And uh, his wife told me about a year and a half ago that he was up for parole mm -hmm. again for the 12th time. And um, he was in prison for double murder. And I just popped into my head. I said, you know what? I could try writing a parole board. I don't know if it'll do any good. So I wrote a letter and it was about two weeks prior and I didn't even know if it would make it to the parole board, let alone, you know, I doubted it would ever make a difference. But about a month and a half later, I get a letter from him. And uh, he said, uh, he, uh, they granted him parole and they read the letter at his parole hearing. And he said that they were crying and stuff like that. And um, Excellent. Yeah, I, I, I just thought to myself, you know, wow. And people don't realize that 
even though when I got out 12 years ago, I could say that there was nothing there, but at least I came home to thank yous and hugs. Vietnam veterans, they came home to horrible treatment. Yeah. Called horrible names, take off your uniform, don't, don't hire them, let alone offer them mental health care. And the gentleman that I'm speaking of, he saw a lot of combat and he was highly decorated for it, but yeah. he obviously had some PTSD issues. Yeah. And he uh, was living in the city. There was some young people selling drugs in front of his house. He asked them to leave. Yeah. And one day he went out there, asked him to leave an altercation, and he wound up he's, shooting both and he's of a, them. He's a killer. And you know, he's uh, 34 by the years. US to kill. So. Yeah. And he spent 34 years of his life in prison, which had, had he maybe received some mental health treatment or um, there had been somebody there that, that may have been, you may have been uh, able to avoid it. And uh, just, uh, just to finish the story off, he finally came into my office, maybe about eight months ago, I met him for the first time and not what I was expecting. He was the most soft-spoken, mm-hmm. quietest, nicest guy, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. And, um, you know, that's just one story of yeah. how veterans can fall by the wayside, you know? And it makes me think of another question for you guys with all of these cases that you deal with, with whatever it is, PTSD, um, do you hear stories from people that maybe they're not even realizing is impacting their mental health about their treatment post-service, whether it's trying to get a job, whether it's, you know, whatever it is. Do you hear those stories? Yeah. Uh, a lot of times you hear the stories of guys that went in, you know, 17, 18 years old. So they're, you know, they're in high school you know, maybe started some college or whatever. So they have a group of this social group, you know, and then they go away, you know, for maybe two years, maybe four, maybe longer. And then they come back and talking about transition and they've changed, but everything around them, you know, has changed also, but they're, they're some of those high school kids, the ones that their friends, the ones that are doing well, have probably moved on or moved somewhere else. But the ones that aren't doing so well are still there. So sometimes they move because of different things. What, what maybe happened to them in the military, it's thrown them off. They move back in with the parents. You know, they move to the same neighborhood, start hanging out with some of the whoever's left of their friends who might not be into some great stuff, coping mechanisms, you know, substances. And there you go. You got the, you got the basics of a substance use disorder along with some, some trauma. You know, maybe not PTSD, but something happened. And then you got a bad situation. And then you got to start getting in trouble with the law, um, maybe not finding employment right away. And there you go. And then conflict with the parents starts because now you got an adult living with the parents who has been trained to kill by the military. And uh, boom. Boy, you, I, every, everything you're saying, <laughs> yeah. you're like hitting the nail on the head. So here's, here's one that's more personal, though. Yeah. For both of you, when did you realize that you needed to make sure your mental health was considered? I know you kind of mentioned something about that. Uh, as far as um, when I got out of the military? Yeah. Um, so my experience was different than most, like Roderick was just touching on. Um, I, I went into the military, I was 28 years old. Um, so I was older than um, you know some of the uh, sergeants and NCOs that were way above me, but most of these most of these guys and, and girls, they're kids. 
You know, I have kids older than that, and they've never lived on their own. They've never paid bills on their own. Um, they haven't done anything that an adult does, and now they're being trained, you know, to get to go off the war. And even when that's done and they're ready to get out, they still haven't had any of those experiences. Um, so that, so they they still don't know how to do it, let alone dealing with all this traumatic stuff. And I know yeah. for myself, I struggled a lot and I was 28 years old and I know my struggles. Um, and uh, most of my, most of my buddies were young and I know they struggled and that that's, that's part of the reason why, because um, when you're 18, um, yeah, you can join the army. Yeah. You can do a lot of stuff, but your mind, I mean, how many 18 year olds have a lot of life experience, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For me, I think, um, the basics of becoming a mental health counselor started, you know, in the Marine Corps, I was a little older when I, when I was 22, which is, which is almost, you know, older than the average, you know, um, average probably 18, 19. And so the, by the time I became, uh, in my third, fourth year in the Marine Corps, became an E5, a sergeant, you know, I'm running a crew on a ship. I'm 25, 26, and I've got a bunch of 17, 18 year olds, you know, on my crew. And I'm playing the big brother role. I'm playing, you know, the, the leader, keeping them alive up on the deck of the ship because they're, you know, they're not putting their helmet on or they're walking near a, a rotor or something, you know. Um, so I started to find myself placed in that role of, my girlfriend just broke up with me. I don't know what to do. I want to kill myself. I want to jump off the ship. You know, guys would come to me like that. Um, so I started finding that I could hold space for, for those guys because I was rel doing relatively well. You know, I thought compared to them, my things weren't so out there. But um, so getting out of the Marine Corps and then figuring, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, I realized I wanted to try to help others, you know, with their mental health, because um, I'd been through a lot as a child, you know, felt like I got to a place by the time I got in the Marine Corps, pretty, doing pretty well. So I wanted to try to give some of that back. But even for me, thinking I was doing great, the minute I stepped back into, off the plane to Buffalo from Arizona, getting out of the Marine Corps, just going back to Buffalo, going back to college, it was, um, a huge transition and mm. uh, months of depression, you know. Did you realize it at the time? No, I just, I, I I just reacted, either. you know, I, I just started react. doing weird things. Yeah. Um, you know, just not, not going to class or mm -hmm. just suddenly, wow, this is, this is what I exactly what I wanted to do. This is why I got a Marine Corps, finished my degree that I had started years ago. And it was very difficult because of the routine yeah. I was used to having the chow hall available, yeah. you know, now I'm living in an apartment and I had lived on my own before, but it was still very difficult and not having my guys around, you know, as much that's, as they drove me nuts sometimes. Your support. They're always around for each other. And, and yeah. kind of going back to what you said about um, time kind of stops, you know, um, it, it really does, mm -hmm. you know, um, for everybody else, life has gone on, but you know, for you, um, you, you go away on a 15 month deployment yeah, been all over the world yeah. the night the last time you left that's what you remember and um with the school i i struggled and 
because I was older, I felt like I owed it to my best friend got killed over there. We lost a lot of guys. I felt mm -hmm. like I need to do something with my life. So I forced myself yeah. through college and um, school was not my thing, but I was afraid. I remember being very afraid because when I had graduated, internet was just coming out. I, you know, and I was, you know, uh, but it, college was easier than I thought. But um, going back to your first question, I remember, I, I can remember the exact moment in event where it hit me that I'm not okay, you know, and uh, I need to get home where, you know, I, I, I had first realized it. And uh, it was probably about a year and a half, almost two years after I got home, I was, I, I always explain it as I was self-destructed, you know, I was out partying, drinking. I just, I felt indestructible. You know, I used to, I used to think to people and say, what are you going to do to me that hasn't already been done to me? You're going to blow me up. Mm -hmm. I didn't care how many people there were, but my anger was the biggest thing. And everybody around me was walking on eggshells. Um, my mother, my wife, everybody. And I, I, I kind of knew it, but I just didn't think anything was wrong with me. And, uh, and one day, my youngest daughter, she must have been about eight at the time. I came home from work and I asked her, I said, do you have homework? or any homework to do and she said no and I said okay and then my wife came home a couple hours later and I heard her go ask my wife can you help me with my homework and mm. I said why do you lie to me I said I just asked you a couple hours ago and you said you didn't have any homework she goes I was a, she said I was afraid to ask you for help and it was like that moment wow. it just hit me like wow my kid is afraid to ask me for help with her homework and i'm like there's something wrong there yeah you know and that was it for me yeah. so and this this kind of follows on with that as well what was the hardest thing for you about finding the support you needed in your journey you want to go or yeah um i think uh admitting you know as a because every time you know People here, you're a Marine. Oh, 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 you know, any, any, anything in the military, you know, people are impressed by people that haven't uh, lived that life. Um, so just in, just again, admitting mm -hmm. at, at first, you know, but I think what motivated me the most was once I decided I was going to be in a counseling role or hold in a role where I just hold space for people telling their difficult stories. You can't do that work without being okay with yourself because you will soak that up very quickly if you're not doing well. So that's when I decided if I'm going to do this job, I've also got to go to counseling and it's in master's level, you know, um, mental health counseling at Nazareth college. Anyway, we, it was strongly suggested they can't mandate it, but it's strongly suggested. We, we go through a counseling program at the school while we're in, while we're becoming counselors ourselves, just get it, get your stuff together so you can help others. Did you kind of find it therapeutic for you? Yeah. Um, meeting with veterans, helping veterans and talking. Yeah. As I long as I'm in a help. good place, but it, you know, yeah. I, I, there were some times in early in my career where mm -hmm. I wasn't there yet. Yeah. And yeah. I was just, I was taking it home. Like I, I felt like I was in that guy's shoes because yeah. I, I got it. I was so empathetic. It was, it was not healthy. So learning create barriers for yourself. Creating balance for yourself, which kind of feeds into another question I had down here, which is like, as you opened up about your mental health struggles as a vet, 
what responses did you get from people well they were in the military or out of the military yeah and that kind of that's kind of going back to what he was just talking about um the key for me and i was very very frustrated um and uh it it was finding um finding somebody who actually it i would say i don't want to say that there people don't care but finding somebody who um at least seemed like they cared um i when i finally did um try to seek help i met with probably four or five different um counselors or therapists mm-hmm. over a couple of years and none of them i mean it was it got to the point where i i could walk in talk to them for one minute and i could tell mm-hmm. this is a waste of time you know yeah. uh, here's a seashell rub it and you yeah. know you got a degree on the wall download this app but i mm-hmm. said uh that I'll give it one more try. And I went to the VA and I met with this doctor. I won't say his name, but um, I, I, I had a bit, you know, I didn't think, and I was planning on never coming back. Just, I was going just to say I did, but um, I walked out of there with a totally different outlook. I, wow. I actually look forward to going back and seeing him again. And um, I've kept in touch with him over the years, and I have this conversation all the time. I was just talking about this today um, with one of my veterans that um, what was what was different about him um, as opposed to all the other ones. And looking back now, um, he listened. Mm. He listened. He wasn't a veteran, but I would go in there and he just listened to me. And after a while, I would tell him a story or in. He would tell me a story and it was, there wasn't, it would, he just, he just relayed and I felt like he cared. And I, I tell that to veterans now yeah. that are going through that. And people are always telling me, um, you need to slow down. You need to watch your mental health. You're working too much. You're doing too much. And um, I told myself, and I never expected myself to be in this role, but I mean, I guess it was fate, but um, my struggles and I struggled to find help. And I felt like no one would help me. And I was struggling with the paycheck to paycheck. And uh, when I started this job, I told myself, I told my wife and everybody, I said, I will never do that to a veteran. Mm-hmm. What was done to me because I know how it feels. Yeah. And if I got to work 24 hours a day, I just, I can't do that to a veteran, you know, because I've been there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now we're getting short on time. So I did want to touch on something because I know it's a big topic for you guys. Suicide. Have you dealt with people that were suicidal that were that either reached out to you personally or that were referred to you because like, you know, maybe their spouse called and said, Hey, yeah. And unfortunately, um, at the VOC, you know, it's different levels of, uh, of crisis and, and suicide ideation or, you know, plan, um, I'll explain those terms, but um, every week, at least one, you yeah. know, sometimes three or four, you know, because the veterans feel safe coming to us. You know, it may, may be a veteran we haven't seen in three or four months, but they show up, they're at the door at 830. Oh, we haven't seen you in a while. How are you doing? Let's c- come on back. Let's talk. Mm-hmm. And then they sit and I don't feel like I want to be here anymore. You know, that they start the conversation that way and we start, we open up the dialogue. Oh, you're, you, so you're feeling like you want to kill yourself. 
uh, we say the words directly, you know, mm -hmm. you feel like you want to kill yourself. Mm -hmm. You have a plan to do that. Um, and that's one of the recommendations is you ask directly. You know, don't, mm -hmm. don't worry about using the word suicide. Um, it's okay to use, you need to use it. So they know what you're talking about. Um, so yes. Um, and then depending on we've gotten, we've got two good counselors that we can assess. Um, we decide, is this just feelings, ideation, that but you don't have a plan to do it, you know, you're just having the feelings and we make a plan with you to, to let us know if you start planning, you know, we, we try to open up that door. Um, and then if they need to go to the hospital, we get them to the hospital. If they need to just make a, get re in touch with their VA counselor, uh, we, we make help them make an appointment to give them some future orientation, some hope. So um, there's a lot of veterans out there hurting and oh, they come, they come to safe places like the county too and, and tell their stories. Mm -hmm. We get them to where they need to go. Is there resistance, we, going back to stigma, is there resistance with some of them with with a therapist or a counselor versus, like I said, they come to your door and say, Yeah, hey. I, I think generally, yes. Um, but I think because of the grassroots nature of the VOC and because we have so many veterans working there, they don't see us as, we call our, we call our department of behavioral health, but they just see us as helpful people right. because we don't, you know, we might have a degree on the wall, but we, the way we, um, open up the doors and make it a welcoming environment and not make it a clinic. Um, I think that helps with that. And that's, that's just it. everything we've been talking about. Um, everything that I just talked about with my experiences until I met the one doctor. Um, I, I'm, I'm not a therapist, you know, I took minored in psychology, but mm -hmm. I have, I, I have a lot of veterans. They'll call me to talk mm -hmm. and I take their calls eight o'clock at night and they don't call their therapist. You know, and um, like Roderick was just saying, they'll come and they feel comfortable coming because, at least to me, I they know you care. When they know you care or when they know that you understand you've been there and you're not just, you know, you're not just checking in and checking out. You're here for a paycheck, but you, they can come to you. That makes all the difference. And then the hope, the hope part, like I yeah. was talking about. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they, I've, I've never had a veteran that was really offended by saying anything um, as far as, because um, most of them are in a place where they got a lot of more serious issues. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I was just talking to a veteran about this today that um, I tell veterans that help me um, and uh, it, it was, it's just a way of looking at things that, um, one of the most frustrating things with me and that I had to learn to accept was um, I used to get very angry and very frustrated that nobody understood. My wife didn't understand and my wife's a veteran. I felt like nobody understood. And no matter how hard I tried to explain it, I felt like nobody understood like how what I'm going through and how it is for me. And, and the doctor I met with, he explained it to me. He said, listen, he said, think of it like this. He says, if I break my leg and... I try to explain to you how that feels. He goes, you know, that hurts, right? He goes, you can imagine how much it hurts and you know, it hurts and you can imagine the pain, but do you know what it feels like? And I'm like, no, 
only he knows what it feels mm -hmm. like because he experienced it. And then he said to me, is that your fault because you didn't break your leg? And I said, oh, you know, and I tell that to veterans mm -hmm. now because that made me realize, look, you, you could get frustrated the rest of your life and explain it to your blue in the face. And they're not people who haven't experienced yeah. it are never yeah. going to get it. And it's not their fault. Yeah. You know, I, I, I like mean, that metaphor. It's not their fault. Yeah. You know, and uh, once you can understand that, that was one of the biggest obstacles for me. And you can start looking at it takes down a lot of anger because I used to have a lot of anger. Like, why can't you understand, you know, and do you uh, see that a lot with other mm -hmm. veterans, too? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's the trust, the trust issue, too. Like, yeah, um, when you're open with them, they'll be open with you. And when I first got out, um, I didn't want to admit that I had anything wrong once yeah. i was diagnosed with pt i was i didn't want anybody to know i was ashamed yeah. i was embarrassed and actually my my boss now my director that i was talking about earlier he was so open with his story and where he came yeah. from um that i started being open there's nothing to be ashamed about yeah. you know you you struggled every you know what i mean it's if, you, if you're in the military especially um the more the, the longer you are the more traumatic it, events you see it mm. who who would be normal coming back from that yeah you know yeah and that and the amount of people that can understand that mm -hmm. it gets narrower and narrower mm -hmm. so i i want to go further with that metaphor i would say as long as you have people that care that your leg is broken mm -hmm. you're doing pretty good you know yeah. be, be grateful for that they, mm -hmm. they might not understand exactly how it feels but they exactly. give a damn you broke your leg and they're gonna help you mm -hmm. and uh it's suicide is unfortunately um and it's well known it's been prevalent in the military um i've had a number of guys i served with in my unit that committed suicide um one of them would have been the last guy i would have ever imagined would have done it i was just in shock um but doing this job i also file for survivors benefits too um i just recently um got a widow approved thank god her husband hung himself and um he was he was he was a gentleman that he should have should have received help he didn't talk about it in the in the older generation is much more held back with that um i mean the world war ii vets are far you know there's few of them yeah. left korean war vets and i've only had a few that really opened up to me but yeah um they just uh yeah it's a pride thing i guess you know and um there's nothing wrong there's nothing wrong with it you know so if you could change one thing about vets receiving what they need, like the help that they need to for her mental health, whatever it is, um, what would that be? Yeah, I'd, I'd like it to be not luck of the draw, like wherever you're going back to or you've chosen a new place to live. I don't want it just to be you get lucky if you end up in a place like Rochester that has a lot. And our, and our vets still struggle with all the support we're able to give them you know um so I, I want things available at least you know you can't they can't be everywhere but at least in, in lots more places where vets can get to no matter where they live you know and if if it's far away if they live in a very rural area transportation provided you know like you know because even in rochester we have problems with transportation just getting the vets you know out to the the main va clinic so um, can imagine in a rural area, but that's that would be my dream that all vets have 
transportation to behavioral health services when they need it. And um, there's a big push for peer support um, facilities and, and ways of doing things, which means it's kind of like, well, we're, we're peers and we're supporting, but at a lower level, just having places where veterans who are doing pretty well enough that they're stable, that they can provide a little bit of help to other vets. Mm -hmm. They don't have to be counselors. They don't have to be, they just have to be at a certain level of stability and then have a place where they can come talk to the vets and then get help from there. So that, that's, that would be my dream. Okay. And I do think that um, what you just said, that is one of the, um, um, how would I put it? That is one of the, the biggest um, benefits um, or, or one of the most important things for someone who's struggling with mental health that people don't realize, but if they're given the opportunity, no matter how bad off they are yeah. to help somebody else, no matter how small it is, um, and, and they feel like they're helping somebody else that they have a purpose. That's huge. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, a lot of times. Um, like you said, we, we are very lucky in Monroe County to Rochester area. We have a lot of organizations and we work very close together, but a lot of areas don't have what we have. And um, even still, you know, veterans yeah. struggle and, um, you know, it'd be nice if there was that um, one right answer, you know, yeah. but there's not. Um, but I mean, I guess if you're looking for the one thing, um, that is probably going to help more than anything else. It's kind of everything we just talked about now, having the right people there, because you could have people there, you can have an organization there, but if the veteran doesn't feel like you're helping him or doesn't trust you, it's, it's, he's going to be turned off. He's going to be even more turned off than before because he's yeah. going to feel like, man, I came to get help and no, yeah. one, no one can help me. One of, one of my heroes, uh, Gary Biker, he's a Medal of Honor winner, passed away um, recently. But he was also a mental health counselor, and uh, he helped start the Veterans Outreach Center, you know, back in uh, the 70s. But he had a book signing that I went to, and I he was open for questions. And the questions I asked him, Gary, how can we get more veterans in the counseling field, the helping professions like you, you have done? Because I'm, I'm here speaking with you. I'm a, I'm a veteran and a counselor, but how can we get more? Because that's the key, I think, getting more veterans to become working in the human services area, working for county, states, you know, helping the veterans, advocating oh, yeah. for them, vet to vet. Yeah. Man, everything you bring up, um, real quick yeah. about Gary Bykirk. I knew Gary very well, very well. Um, me and my boss were up with his family up until the day he died. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, Congressional Medal of Honor winner, Special Forces, Green Beret, Vietnam. Um, and he was my guidance counselor in eighth grade. Oh, wow. um, yeah, he, uh, he, he, he was a guidance counselor in Greece for a long time before he became yeah. a pastor and went around. And just real quick, I'll, I remember when I first took this job and it was an event. And, you know, I, it, I was probably 33, 34 at the time, and I haven't seen him in 25 years and we were walking out of the event and I, and I heard, Hey Matt. And I, and it was Gary, but I couldn't even believe he recognized me. And he came up to me and he said, how you doing? And, um, I said, uh, oh, I'm good, Gary. You know, I just got out 
couple years ago. He goes, yeah, I know you got out. He goes, and then he said to me like this, and I get chills. He goes, how are you doing? Yeah. Like that. You know what how I mean? How you really doing? Yeah. yeah. And a, and um, that meant a lot. I mean, if you ever met Gary By Kirk, um, probably the most humblest man, um, nicest man um, you'll ever meet in your life. Um, you just, yeah. yeah. He was it. Yeah. And even Gary lived in a cave in the woods for five years when he first came home. Oh, yeah. 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 And go through that. Yeah. And, yeah. Great. So we'll wrap it up with the last question. Um, how can civilians best support vets who they love, who need mental health support? Mm. Well, um, try not to create shame, additional shame, because there's probably already a lot there. Um, Hold space as, as long as you can until, you know, it, it gets too dangerous. If it come, becomes dangerous to self or others, you know, you got to get some outside help. You can't keep that in the house when somebody might get hurt. Um, and read, as, read, you know, watch legitimate videos about veteran experience. You know, just try to educate yourself just so you can have some empathy for, for some of the struggles and because they are unique. You know, um, other cultures throughout history have had ways to transition their warriors, you know, back to society. We don't do such a good job with that. You know, the going back to the Vikings, they had a village outside the village where war would happen. The soldiers would go live in the village for like a month, tell oh. stories, paint their shields, you know, drink. And then when they were ready, they go back to their families in the village, like starting with Vietnam era. Somebody could walk out the jungle, get get on a plane, you know, 24 hours, be back in the United States, back in their hometown. Now it's even quicker. That's so, how it was for me. It's, it's, I, that's I, crazy. I right? carried my weapon for 15 months everywhere I went and on a plane, turned it in, bus pulls away, there's your family, I'm standing in Walmart. And I remember wow. for the first couple of weeks, I would reach down mm. and without thinking for a couple of seconds, I would panic, like, where's, where's my, my weapon? Like I lost it. And yeah. um, that's the worst thing you can do is lose your weapon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But going back to what you were saying, um, everything we've talked about, um, you, you civilians won't understand, you know, breaking right. the leg, what we were talking about, but they can have empathy Yeah, and, um, you know, give you some space. Um, don't pile up, don't put more pressure there and let, let, let the veteran know you are there for them. And I think by telling the veteran, look, I don't know what you went through. My wife has said that, mm -hmm. but, um, trying to help a veteran, not only, um, not a, trust is a big issue, but, um, trying to help the veteran see in the mirror that the issues they do have, because denial is a big thing, yeah. you know, and, you know, trying to get them to help themselves too, yeah. you know. Yeah, agreed. It's a downward spiral, <laughs> spiral. you know, yeah. you're in bad shape, yeah. you lose your wife, um, you know, you get arrested and it's just spirals downhill, you know, and you go yeah. from, oh, I'm an army veteran, I served my country and now I'm yeah. homeless or I'm in jail and yeah. That's what that's that's a big dig hole to dig out from. Yeah. But we, we do what we can. Mm -hmm.
Okay. Yeah, that court. Yeah, I work with that court. I go into Monroe County Jail and work with veterans there, and a lot of those are discharge upgrades. Yeah, just finding them sometimes. Cause yeah, they don't they don't wave flags saying I'm a veteran necessarily. Yeah, and a lot of them have a bad taste in their mouth and have had negative experiences too. So, yeah. All right. Well, I want to thank you guys. I'm, I really appreciate you being here and participating in this. Um, it's been very educational and eye-opening for me um, and hopefully you know people that watch the video will get the, that same impression that same information out of this so thank you for coming here i uh, really appreciate it and have a good yeah. evening thank thanks you. for having us appreciate thank it you. I found hope in the midst of an overwhelming situation. I let go of trying to control things that I had no control over, and that helped me find peace of mind. Alcoholism is a disease that can affect any family. Everyone suffers, but there is help and hope at Al-Anon Family Groups. I was constantly stressed and worried. Now I approach each day with joy and gratitude. In Al-Anon, families and friends of alcoholics find new ways to heal from the effects of a loved one's drinking. Alanon gave me my life back. I'm a better father and husband. Are you in an overwhelming situation because of someone else's drinking? Alanon and Alateen can help. Local and virtual meetings are available. Maybe one could work for you. For information, call 1-866-200-0033 or visit alanon.org slash hope.